welcome to the Eye on the U podcast, Miami Herald's Miami Hurricanes podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I am joined, as always, on the other line by Susan Miller-Degnan, our Hurricanes beat writer here at the Herald from Parts Unknown. How are you doing, Susan? From Northwest Parts Unknown, right? Yeah. You're like Andre the Giant or whatever. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing very well, very well, as we get into the warm months, except the really warm months, except for uh, Parts Unknown. Yeah. Um, so you're out on the road, but you're popping in. Uh, you're on vacation this week, but you're popping in to do uh, the podcast this week. Because uh, it's kind of, a, you know, we've had a couple of weeks here where we've been trying to find topics to talk about, right? It's kind of that was that dead period between the end of spring and um, before baseball really heated up. We're going to do baseball probably mostly next week. Um, as we are recording, game one of the ACC tournament is going on for Miami. They're playing Duke. Last I saw, they were up 2 nothing. Is that are they still in, are they still winning that game as we talk about? It's tied at two, I think. Tied at two now. All right. So maybe we'll we'll if something crazy happens, maybe we'll we'll talk about it as that's going on. But but for the most part, good things are going on for Miami baseball the last few weeks. Yes. Uh, we'll we'll talk uh, next week once the ACC tournament wraps up. But uh, there's that's because there's a lot to talk about this week. Like I said, it's been a few weeks of trying to find topics. Uh, this week we got a big one. It's recruiting um, because a dead period that lasted. 15 months basically uh, is ending on Tuesday, June 1st um, Miami for the first time since before the COVID-19 pandemic started, uh, will be allowed to have uh, players visit campus. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll got, I think three camps weekends lined up for June, uh, including paradise camp uh, that last kind of weekend of June. I think June 26th is the date of that. Um, whatever that Saturday is. Um They've got uh, like at least a dozen official visitors, maybe closer to two dozen at this point. Uh, obviously, things always change, but scheduled to visit, take official visits uh, throughout June. Um, so a whole lot to talk about in the recruiting world. Um, I cover it a lot, obviously, covering high schools for the Herald. I uh, know a lot of the players pretty well. Um, Susan, it's always uh, – we likes to come in and, and check in on it mostly through the podcast uh here every once in a while um susan what has stood out to you so far about this class and and i know uh we're gonna set it up we're gonna we're gonna try to answer the big questions i think that maybe maybe the the more casual uh right. recruiting fan um wants to know now that, that it's time to start really thinking about it in these summer months again and what stands out to you about this class so far? Well, well, the first thing I wanted to say was that, uh, you know, when you talk about the dead period uh, ending and the regular recruiting calendar is resuming on June 1st, um, you know, I just think people very briefly should know what specifically a dead period is, what it means. And the NCAA says that, uh, you know, during a dead period, college coaches – are not allowed to have face-to-face contact, okay, with recruits, with college-bound student-athletes or their parents. They may not watch student-athletes compete or visit, even visit their high schools, David. Uh, Coaches may write and telephone student-athletes or their parents during a dead period, but nothing else. So basically, other than talking on the phone, they can't really see them. Um, And that means a lot, obviously. But right now, as you know, as recruiting starts up again, um, or as the dead period ends, Miami only has two commitments, okay, for the 2022 cycle. And what I'm wondering is, um, you know, 
is it is it an issue that Miami only has two commits right now? What that means, and 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 by the way, there are two commits, or one of them is a quarterback. Okay, uh, Jakari Jakari Brown, and uh, and and he's a four-star quarterback, and the other one is uh, Quan Lee, who's a receiver from Gainesville, actually, and he's a three-star guy, and he committed. Um, again, today is today is Thursday, May 27th. He committed Wednesday, yesterday. Um, but they only have two guys, David. Um, you know what? What is it? Is that an issue now? What What does that mean for Miami? Is that good? Bad? What's your take on that? I wouldn't say it's good. I wouldn't say it's bad though either. I, I think if you look at some of the uh, some like some of the top top teams, Alabama, I think has a bunch of guys already committed. Like some of the teams that just really recruited a national level are a little bit ahead um, and they're always going to be ahead. So I think comparing them Miami to them is, is not totally fair, but I think Miami's not alone in having a smaller class than usual at this point, as we sit here on May 27th, um, this is a, a tweet from, from May 10th, Bud Elliott from 24 seven, who does a really good job covering like recruiting trends. Uh, this is a tweet from May 10th. Last year, there were 130 commits in the first 10 days of May. This year, there were 27. There have only been, according to this list I'm looking at from 24-7, there have only been like 50 commits total, Division One commits in the last month. Um, and it it's a total flip from last year, where last year we had kind of like a record run on commitments in April and May with, with college, with kids basically not, you know, knowing that this dead period was going to probably last a really long time because of covid um guys wanted to lock up their spots this year it's totally different like why would you commit on may 27th when in the next three weeks you're probably going to visit four or five schools you've never had a chance to see before everyone is waiting until june it's not a big deal right now that miami only has two guys committed but they better lock some up in june and i I expect that to happen I, i think another thing that's worth pointing out is obviously miami lives in south florida that's where they want to get the bulk of their guys I don't know the exact number of like blue chip guys from South Florida this year. It's usually more than a dozen. Um, only two of them have committed so far. That's um, Alfonso Allen. Or sorry, I guess we have three. Yeah, three South Florida commits committed. Alfonso Allen and Jalen Marshall from Hallandale, who are both committed to Arizona State, which kind of tells you like you know though that's probably not Miami. We're really in the mix. Um, and then the other is uh, Francois Knowlton, a defensive end from Edison, who's going to Florida, who Miami liked. But we're going to talk about some of the defensive ends that I think they clearly just had ahead of him on the board. So it's not like they've had big misses so far in South Florida. They've really only kind of missed on one guy so far that they like really, really wanted, really were in. Um, and that's Isaiah Bond, a three-star wide receiver uh, who's going to Florida from, from out of state. And David, let's let's face it. I, whether it's a dead period, end of dead period, whether this has been affected by COVID, you know that the players end up decommitting. Right. Uh, as, as, I mean, not as. Yeah, much- I mean these these kids who are already committed, they're yeah. much more likely, I think, to decommit this summer than a kid who committed in April or May last. Always, year always, because they'll they'll start getting offers from other schools all of a sudden. Yeah, and they'll visit schools that they never even really think exactly. about. Which exactly. was different than last year, where if you committed, you weren't seeing another school. 
later in the right. process. Exactly. That was, it was totally different. So, uh, you know, and, and by the way, I wanted to ask you the, the Ja'Cory Brown and uh, the Quan Lee, are, are those, I mean, I, I just wanted to know about Brown a little bit in relate. I, I know he's a quarterback. I know he's a four star, um, but with Jake Garcia and Tyler Red Dyke, I mean, they just have to get a quarterback every recruiting cycle. Yes. And what, what do you think, where do you think he's, you know, what's his role going to be, do you think? Yeah, so like you said, it's important to get a quarterback every recruiting cycle. And, you know, ideally it's a four-star, five-star, blue chip quarterback. And, and they did that here. And obviously, you know, if you're Alabama or Ohio State, like you're getting a guy who's probably ready to start day one, like when he gets on campus. It doesn't mean he's obviously going to start day one because you're probably got three or four other guys who would be day one starters already on the roster. But for Miami, I think, you know, in an ideal world, you'd love to do that too. I don't know if Ja'Cory Brown is like in that realm, right? It's not like, you know, Bryce Young, who's going to start for Alabama as a redshirt freshman or his second year, whatever, redshirt freshman, basically. Yeah. Um, when Miami plays them in Atlanta on opening day of the season next year, like if he went to – 75 other schools instead of Alabama, maybe even more than that. There's a really good chance he would have started last year. He obviously had no chance behind that Jones. Um, Ja'Cory Brown is not probably in that mold. He's a little bit more of a project. He's a really good athlete. Um, If you look at his like production, he's, he's, he's not the most accurate passer in terms of completion percentage, but he's a excellent runner. He's like kind of built like Cam Newton um, so I, I think he's a little bit of a project. I think he's kind of a perfect for the situation that Miami is in where you're not getting a like generational quarterback talent every cycle. He's exactly the kind of guy you want to get on like the bottom end, right? Like Jake Garcia is the kind of guy you want to be able to get every one to every two, three years, basically a guy right. you sign. And the expectation is that guy is your long-term quarterback solution. Jakari Brown is like kind of the off year cycle guy you want to get a four star with really high upside. I think Tyler Van Dyke fell into that category also uh, as a guy who was, you know, didn't necessarily play the stiffest competition in Connecticut. If you look at the other schools that were in the mix for him, it was like Syracuse, Boston College, like a guy where that would have been a massive get for them. My for Miami, he's kind of the bottom end, I think, of what you want. I think Brown falls in the same category where he is. He's going to take some time to develop, and that's pro- it's a good thing that he's going to be coming in um, and, and probably be behind Jake Garcia and Tyler Van Dyke on the depth chart. But you're in really good shape when a guy like Jakari Brown is your number th- is third on your depth chart. Um, it, you're in a much better spot than, than Miami obviously has been in, in some recent years. What about uh, Quan Lee? Um, I know he's a, a quote-unquote three-star guy. What's interesting to me is he's from Gainesville. Yeah. Has not been apparently, from what I'm reading, he's never been offered, or he's not been yeah. offered by hometown Gators. Yeah, um, he's another guy who's offered list. Like, if you look at the other schools that are really in the mix for him, like UCF was in there, and then it was FAU. like West Virginia, Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, yeah, not it says Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, yeah. FAU, Coastal Carolina uh, offered him. Um, so. I- Obviously Miami likes him, right? Like you're not taking him if you don't like him. He was a thousand yard receiver last year. Um, you know, I haven't seen him play in person. I saw Andrew Ivers from 24 seven compared him a little bit to Mike Harley, which obviously Miami fans are going to like, you know, like a six foot guy who probably plays a little bigger than his size. Um, 
But for Miami, I think wide receivers is not a big priority in this class, right? Like, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, after next year, they're going to lose Mike Carly and Charleston Rambo, but you're still going to have like some combination of Keyshawn Smith, uh, Xavier Restrepo, obviously like, the guys coming in, Romello Brinson, Jacoby George, um, Rashard Smith, you know, maybe like Mark Pope or D Wiggins or Michael Redding. Yeah. Michael Redding, uh, Daz Warsham. Like they're really deep there right now. I know those guys aren't proven yet. But, like, they've just got a lot of bodies on the roster where I think, um, you know, Miami will probably go after a couple of receivers because that's a spot where you can have a lot of – you want a lot of depth. Um, But I think Quanley, it's it's just like they're not – first of all, it's not like a loaded wide receivers class locally this year. Um, I Honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of a a single four-star wide receiver in the area. The 23 class is actually loaded. Uh, wide receiver locally so I, I wonder if part of it is they're waiting to you know they, they want to make a big really big class there but I think it's just good they, they get a guy in early um, I think it helps to have multiple commits early on like you know theoretically this guy's sticking with Miami as long as Miami, Miami wants him um, and they're friends so, so to me he's like he's just in this class where you're only going to take one or two wide receivers it's good to get a guy early and then take your swings maybe at one big blue chip uh, star wide out in the class too. Yep. Okay. Well, that that helps then for for this class coming up. You were saying next year it's actually this. Yeah. Semester. Here's here's actually a, I'm looking at the 24 uh, seven rankings and I'm not looking at athletes. So maybe there's an athlete I'm missing, but the highest ranked wide receiver in Florida this year is only the number 314 player in the country. Like that's wow. that's really bizarre. That's unusual. Yeah. Definitely unusual. All right, but now, so now we have kind of a, a good grasp of, of what Miami has, and there's a lot more to go. But as David, as far as the dead period goes, a dead period ending, um, you know, what, I know I read what the dead period is. What has the effect of COVID been on that? And, you know, I know that Manny Diaz had mentioned uh, several times that one of the factors of uh, this whole COVID thing has been that, you know, they, the 2022 class, the one we're talking about now, that they only have two signees for, that um, Manny and the other UM coaches really haven't seen them in person uh, since they've been a sophomores in high school. Yeah. Uh, now they're entering their senior years, but junior year is always a, like a big season. We know how screwed up last season was. Um, so they were more affected than the 2021 class, which at least Manny Diaz could see them you know, when they were juniors, right? Yeah, it's an interesting thing where the 21s were affected because they didn't get to do the visits, right? Like they didn't get to take their official visits. They didn't get to, when when they were down to their final three, they didn't get to go visit all three and back-to-back-to-back weekends in December and decide, all right, this is where I'm going to sign. But most of those kids like visited, right? Like most of those kids, and it definitely helped Miami because I think every, definitely every local kid who, who signed with Miami in the 21 class had been to the campus before, like they'd been to a camp at some point, you know, the either paradise camp or just like with their team for a seven on seven tournament or something like right. that. Like they, uh-huh. or to a game because Miami invites so many local kids to every game, every weekend, like they knew what they were getting there. Um, the difference as Manny always said, like the difference is going to be in the evaluations this year. Um, and 
so much evaluation, as you said, happens in their junior year. And these kids, like, they have not seen these 22 kids in person since they were sophomores, basically. Um, yeah, I, I was talking to this kid, Chris Graves, the other day. He was uh, at Bishop Barrow in Fort Myers. Um, Miami signed Malik Curtis out of there in this class. And, um, you know, he had did not have a single offer until uh, December when UCF, USF offered him. Then Miami offered him early in January. It was like his first big offer. And now he's got like 30. And he's a kid who like, I was talking to him. He's like, I've never taken a visit before. And he is a like four-star recruit in 24-7. Had a big growth spurt, I guess, after his freshman year. He's like a 6'2 cornerback now. Um, After he was like a running back as a freshman at like a a smaller school, ended up transferring to Vero, which is a little bit more of a powerhouse on people's radar. So kids like him, like, they're just, they were totally off the radar. They're probably still a little underrated in the rankings. Um, you know, a lot of schools, you know, they, they can watch the film, but they don't know how big this kid actually is, how long his arms actually are. And um, I think the, those are the kids who are really going to be affected are the ones who just, especially like if they were not highly ranked or had a growth spurt or, um, you know, just got a lot better their junior year. They just have not really had this opportunity to go through any of the recruiting process. And I think it's going to make June really chaotic in terms of commitments with these kids. You know, the, the Chris Graves, he's got three official visits lined up for June. He's going to visit Miami twice in the first three or four days of June because he's going to be at the cookout on June 1st and then take an official visit that next weekend. Um, like there's just going to be kids who like have not any exposure to the recruiting process and all of a sudden it's going to all start. And it's, it's going to be a scramble if, if schools trying to lock up commitments early from, from kids they get on campus and think, oh, we've got a steal here that no one knows about. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a really chaotic June, July here. Uh, once we get out of the dead period because of stuff like that, because of how little exposure some of these kids have had. And it's never, it's, those are all really good points. And it's (laughs) at first it, it turns out to be a steal, right? And then as soon as a Miami or any, any, yeah, that was exactly what happened with Chris Graves. He didn't have an offer until I think June or January 20th, maybe Miami offered. And now he's got 30. Yeah, of course. Once one does and everybody copies and everybody else wants them. And I feel, I kind of feel bad for the kids too, because they're going to be overwhelmed. And they're, you know how in the beginning they're talking to all the websites and the recruiting sites and the coaches and the whatever. And, and then it just becomes too much. You know, yeah. It becomes too much. So it'll be very interesting. And and then uh, the opposite end of that, you feel bad for the kids from the last, you know, during COVID who, who exactly, like you said, were, you know, maybe, uh, you know, hidden gems that you, you never really knew about. And also, also, and I think you mentioned this is that this year, these kids will be able to uh, go like commit kids who are committed or not committed whatever they're going to they're going to be allowed to attend football games yeah you'll have kids where before uh the, the there was good and bad right the local the local miami south florida kids could not visit other campuses yeah. and other football games so a local kid you know could not go to alabama or some major georgia or whatever where they're unbelievable LSU fan presence and you know unbelievable facilities and all that stuff and 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 they had the kids from South Florida had to stay around here they knew what they had in Miami but by the same token uh, Miami let's face it um, 
you know, hard rock doesn't always draw fantastic crowds. I'm not talking about COVID, you know, when yeah. they'll allow full crowd or, mo- or almost a full crowd. And, um, you know, that has an effect when you go to a game, if it's not an exciting, thrilling atmosphere um, for other kids, that, that hurts Miami also. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what Miami learns from this last year, because I think to put this most diplomatically, because Miami does have great atmosphere for what, like one or two games a year, right? Like, yeah, yes. But the problem is, you know, so many of these kids, when they go visit places like they're, you know, they're not going, they're not going to LSU to watch LSU play like UL Lafayette, right? In a game that's going to be like a crappy F like noon game, like LSU saying, Hey, come visit us for the Alabama game. Come visit us for some big sec game. Right. You know, I, I think of so many kids who over the years have like been at every single Miami home games. It means you get the, the Notre Dame uh, night game sometimes, but it also means you're there when Miami is playing uh, Arkansas state at noon. And there's like 7,000 people and like, it kind of skews your perception of it. Uh, so I'll be interested to see, this is going to be oh, something dude. to see obviously in the fall, if Miami changes their approach to uh, bringing kids to campus, you, you wonder if in the past, maybe they've overexposed kids. Um, I, I think that's a real thought they have running through their heads right now. Well, meaning, so like this year's schedule, I don't have it in front of me, but for example, FSU is in Tallahassee. FSU game so you can't because that's always a great atmosphere always right so you can't see that game right there's no UM game this year uh but then at the same time I think it works you know it benefited Miami in some ways because these kids weren't going to LSU or Alabama or whatever to to see what that place looked like but it also I think you you notice I mean it's very noticeable that Miami's 21 class had so many local kids in it because those kids knew Miami, they'd all visited, like I said. Uh, but also because the out-of-state kids, sometimes a kid comes from out-of-state and they land at Miami International Airport and they drive through the city and they go to South Beach and they go to Prime oh, yeah. on an official visit. And not a whole lot of schools can obviously match that, especially, you know, if you're a kid like Tyler Van Dyke, who's coming from uh, Connecticut, like there's an appeal that Miami has with out-of-state kids that, and I think if you look at some of the the list of targets they have for this year, I think it's going to skew back. Uh, it's not going to be such an extreme, um, volume of South Florida kids. I mean, look at it already two of the three or the only, the two kids committed, neither of them are from South Florida. I don't think you're going to get like 20 out of 25 from South Florida again this year, like it was last year. It's going to, it's going to be more of a mix with out-of-state kids. Yeah. I, 100% 100% agree with that. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, this should be really wild. That's all I know. The, the, the next few months should be absolutely crazy. Commitments, decommitments, whatever. It's going to be crazy. I wanted to ask you about the, the some of the targets Miami is going after. Who do you think in this class, even if they're not going after them now because it's so early, mm-hmm. who do you think, uh, might be the next superstar uh, signee? Like this this year, we have uh, safety 
five-star safety James Williams, yeah. five defensive tackle Leonard Taylor. Do you foresee any big guys like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like refer to these as like the uh, like the they're like the dad commits. Like they're the commits that like your dad who doesn't follow recruiting really at all. Every Miami fan knows James Williams and Leonard Taylor, right? Like even if you're not into recruiting, there's a couple guys every year that that are the guys that get everyone excited about. Um, Shamar Stewart is is kind of number one in this class. He's the number seven recruit in the country, according to 27, 24 seven composite rankings. Uh, plays at pace. Uh, I think I saw it. He's going to be at the uh, cookout on June first. I think twenty four seven reported that today. He's got uh-huh. a whole bunch of visits lined up for June. Um, it's going to be harder, I think, to like get him than than even James Williams or, or Leonard Taylor, where. Um, I think James Williams is ultimately kind of down to like Miami, Georgia, Clemson, right? Like it was, it was three schools in there. Uh, He's a kind of lifelong Miami fan. Miami had an angle there. Leonard Taylor is basically down to Miami and Florida clearly wanted to stay in state. Um, Shamar Stewart, like if you look, he's got like a huge list, like LSU, Clemson, Georgia, A&M, like Alabama will probably get a visit. Like it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight for him. Um, but he is kind of the, that's the guy, that's the guy who has a chance to be the Leonard Taylor or James Williams of this class, the local and get, hero. Um, and he's a defensive end. Yeah. Got- which is a big position of need, I think for Miami in this class. Um, so, oh, yes. and, and that's just a high profile position too, right? Like that's a position people get, like if you're, if you're five, even if you're five star is like a, an offensive lineman, it's not the same level of excitement. If it's a big pass rusher, or a, a ball hawking safety. Uh, speaking of safeties, Kamari Wilson is the other one uh, from IMG Academy over in Bradenton. Um, <laughs> Georgia leads in the 24-7 crystal ball, uh, but he's another one just like Miami's been in there the whole time for him. Um, uh, he's got a, a good relationship, it seems like, with uh, T-Rob. Uh, I think Ed Reed is, is probably going to be involved in that commitment um, or that recruitment. You know, he's just another guy who is it, – it's really hard to know, you know, which five stars Miami, like, you know, this time last year, like you would have said there was like, I don't know, a 40% chance they got James Williams and a 50% chance they got Leonard Taylor. Like those guys were clearly Miami was in that final group. These guys are so early in their commitment, in their recruitments. It's really hard to know exactly where Miami slots in. And once they take, you know, at the end of June, we'll have probably a much better idea once they've all taken visits and maybe cut down their list a little more, set a commitment date. Um, you see how often they visit schools. That's always the thing Miami has advantage is they can get Shamar Stewart on campus twice as much as anyone else, because it's a really easy drive down the road from, from Miami gardens, um, drive down. I, I, not, not that easy, depending on the time of day, I guess, uh, and traffic on I-95, but, um, you know, they've, they've got the, uh, the advantage there, which is why he's kind of the, the number one guy I look at just cause he's a local guy. But, but I think to me, Kamari Wilson kind of feels like um, maybe the best shot to get a five-star in this class. Gotcha. So, okay, there's a, there's a shot. But, again, it's – It's 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 so early. That's the – so that's early. Be big all, exactly. And also the players – it'll be interesting to see. We know that the 2021 class, and maybe, maybe some of it was because of COVID, you know, factor, mm-hmm. but they were so vocal – and they stuck together so yeah. much. They they work together, uh, rec- kind of among themselves, recruiting other kids. 
it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much uh, the, the current players, you know? Yeah. I, I think Jakari Brown has some of that, but obviously he's not a South Florida guy. And that was what made right. our last class unique. We talked about it last week. So many of those kids grew up together, played seven on or played Pop Warner together, or play, at least played against each other. And, and once, you know, once James Williams, Romello Brinson, obviously Khalil Brantley was in there early and kind of vocal guy. Like those guys, once they got them in the fold, like the dominoes obviously started to fall. I, I don't know. I don't know who that guy is in South Florida this year, just generally. Like not even saying that Miami has a chance at I I I, I don't know who the, the big personalities are locally. And it's important to get one of those guys early. Um, and the other thing worth noting when we talk about who the, the chance to be the five stars are, the rankings could change a lot with this class because uh, it was so hard to evaluate their junior seasons when everyone was playing different amounts of games and, um, you know, like analysts and coaches obviously weren't out at games as frequently. Uh, but then also, like, they didn't get to do the, the uh, summer camp circuit. And guys get ratings bumps because they show up at uh, Miami and are awesome in a seven-on-seven tournament or are awesome in, like, one-on-one drills as offensive linemen, like, there, there's some guys like uh, when I look at some of the, the like top 100, top 120 recruits in the, the country, like I look at like Marvin Jones Jr. had an awesome year for American Heritage. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up as a five star. Uh, Kenyatta Jackson certainly has the physical tools at 6'5 and 231, the defensive end from Chaminade. Um, you know, Wesley Besanthi, I think, is as good a linebacker as you'll find in the country. I don't know if he'll be a five star, but I, he's 113 in the country right now. Like, I feel like he's going to wind up in the top 100, top 75 by the end of the cycle. And that's obviously those, those end up being the guys you get excited about, especially um, if there's no, like, you know, last year was unique where they had James Williams and Leonard Taylor. They didn't had two five stars in the same class in a long time. Um, I would not expect them necessarily to get two five stars in the 22 class, uh, but there are going to be guys to get excited about. And, and I think some of like, there's, there's some local guys, Besanthi is one that, that I'm, I'm really high on that I think will ultimately be one of those guys who ends up top two or three, four in the class that because of his, he's local and I think he's got a good personality, like will be in that mix as far as uh, like the superstar type players. But I, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of other guys that might not be classified as superstars now. Right. We know how it is who end up really, really, uh, you know, t- towards that way. And I and there is one guy I'm interested. In. I want you to tell me a little bit about because um, I, I know his dad and I, I covered his dad way back in the mid 90s uh, or a little junior. Um, yeah. Corner, cornerback for right plantation American heritage. Um, I, a four star, a good, very good four star rated pretty much among the top, you know, top 100 players. Um, you know, dad Earl Little was a, a defensive back at Miami uh, and, and, and in the NFL. And what a great, upstanding, classy guy. Earl yeah. Little so friendly. And uh, I just, uh, b- back then, I mean, I always – always would talk to you respectful, great kid, great guy, I should say. And I'm sure he's raising his kids that way too. Mm-hmm. So that Earl Little Jr. Yeah. Um, Miami's in the top six for him. He is like, no doubt, one of the 
best corner. This is a really good, actually a really good cornerbacks class, I think, in South Florida. Maybe not necessarily like five-star guys like we had a couple of years back with uh, Tyson Campbell and Pat Sertan Jr., um, but just like a really deep, good group of corners. And Little is, has, you know, an easy claim to being the best. Uh, like I said, Miami's in the top six, but the consensus seems to be sort of outside looking in for him. Alabama, LSU are, are in the mix there, and those guys are tough to compete with compete with when it comes to cornerbacks. Um, obviously, you know, his coach at American Heritage is Pat Sertan. Pat Sertan Jr. just had a uh, incredible career at Alabama. Um, so Miami will, you know, they'll get him on campus. They'll, they'll do all they can to get him. But I, I think they're on the outside looking in there. That American Heritage uh, top end, like talent is pretty loaded though. Um, you got Earl Little, who you just mentioned. You got Marvin Jones, who I mentioned earlier, who's a Florida State legacy. His dad was a defensive end there. Miami will be in the mix for him as well. And then, and then Jacoby Spells, who's a guy that I'm really high on when you talk about the best cornerbacks in South Florida. Um, you know, he was a wide receiver his whole life until this last year, ended up moving to cornerback in American Heritage and was awesome. Helped them win a state championship, obviously. Um, I remember, you know, when they played Northwestern um, in a playoff game, he went up against Romello Brinson, who was, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in South Florida last year. And pretty much locked him down. Like, you know, they obviously each got the best of each other a little bit. But, but Spells, for a guy who had not played a whole lot of cornerback in his life, um, I, I would say kind of won that matchup. And he's a guy who I think just like really high upside. Um, and I think Miami has a, has a good chance to land him. If I had to pick one guy from American Heritage who I think Miami does get in this class, Spells is, is the guy. Because I think Miami was on him pretty early and – um, I think it's just going to be a really fierce competition for those other guys. I think they can get spells as a little bit of a steal. We all know that linebacker is a position of, you know, uh, at which the hurricanes are really in need, like right now, like yesterday, they need some yeah. really good linebackers. I know uh, they just recruiting wise, it hasn't worked out as much lately. Um what what guys what what guys out there are possibilities for Miami and who would be a major grab if they could realistically get them as far as linebackers go? Yeah, I think it's the position I've tried to write about most because uh, with this recruiting class, because I know people know that's the biggest need. And Wesley Besaint is a guy I mentioned a bunch, central linebacker, Miami central linebacker who like kind of fits the perfect intersection of like position of need and talent to make me kind of consider him. Like that's the guy you can't miss on in this class. Like if you miss on Shamar Stewart or Kamari Wilson or you know some of those like five-star Marvin Jones, like that stinks, but there's lots of good defensive ends. The competition's really tough there. Like those guys, you know, they leave sometimes. Um, Wesley Besaint is like, He's the clear top linebacker in South Florida. He's at Miami Central, which is a school that obviously Miami kind of gets what they want there. Um, the you know their their coach is a, a former Hurricane Roland Smith. Like he's the guy you got to get. Um, and, but you're gonna need more than that. Um, and there's you know I, I think there's nice little depth behind him. You know the Saint is, is obviously the guy who I think you could get and potentially be like a day one starter, um, especially because he's a public school good position to early enroll. Um, but behind him, you, you got Omar Graham from Stranahan um, is, is a guy I think worth, worth monitoring. He's kind of been a breakout star over the last 
few years. One of those guys that people just haven't really gotten a chance to see much in person. Um, Miami will get, he'll be there on June 1st. Um, Kobe McLeod is a guy I like. He's Ray Ray McLeod's younger brother. Um, plays at Gaither over in Tampa. Um, he's a guy who actually has been really impressive on like the seven on seven circuit. He like plays some safety there. He's a linebacker mostly. Um, kind of would be a fit maybe as a striker, but but just if you look across the board at the linebackers Miami wants in this class, they're all those like smaller, speedy, athletic guys. Um, they, they've clearly kind of felt they need to get faster at that spot. And I, I think there's options there. Besaint is the clear number one. I like Trey Lathan also. Um, he said my, Manny Diaz is, is kind of the one who talks to him most. Uh, you know, he plays wide receiver, mostly a Gulliver, but also a linebacker. Um, so there, there's definitely options. Besaint is like the one you can't miss on. And then I think behind him, there are a lot of uh, guys who, who fit like the profile of what Miami wants at linebacker. Um, that, that you can fill out that roster behind him, but you got to get the same. Um, Demario Tolan from Dr. Phillips is another four-star guy who they're, they're right in the mix for. Um, so I, I think they've got a chance to really upgrade that spot, but a lot of those guys I mentioned are also just like the three-star guys that, you know, you can be high on them, but, but we know it's important to get these four stars because Miami does not have a whole lot of four-star linebackers on their roster right now. And they clearly are suffering because of it. So, so you've got to get the same. And, and okay, you say you've got to get him. Something I always wondered in recruiting is when a, when a team really needs a certain position badly, like Miami needs linebackers. Yeah. Do you think that the, the do you think that the recruits do you think it's like uh, it feeds on itself? They look what what are they looking for? Those top recruits. I know. But are they looking and saying mm, Miami's? They're kind of weak at that position. Yeah, it can go either way, right? Because a guy can say, oh, I can come in and be a starter right away. Yeah, but but they can also look at it and be like, is there something wrong with the coaching there? Um, oh, that's and, true. That, yeah. But Miami obviously also changed the coaching spot at linebacker this year um, with Blake Baker leaving um, and Ishmael Aristide coming in. So um, I, I think linebacker is a spot where you're going to hopefully get like one or two top end guys like you haven't gotten in a while and then probably fill it out. And then you're going to have to, to prove it on the field this year that, that ish can coach. Um, obviously another benefit with coach ish in that, in that the uh, same recruitment is, you know, he's a like Miami guy. His dad is the uh, principal at Northwestern, right? Like Roland yep. Smith, who uh, is the coach at central used to work for Ishmael Aristide when he was the coach at Northwestern. And when he was at, when, uh, when coach Ish was at Texas A&M, he got two Miami central guys to come out to college station. Um, and when he was working that recruiting office. So I, I think everything comes together in that recruitment where, like I said, that's, that's kind of the one that like, that's the, the domino I think that can fall potentially early and really like jumpstart this recruiting class. Very, all good points. Um, I think we should, we should end this one in, in an upbeat way <laughs> with uh, uh, Paradise Camp. Yes, which, which is coming always, back. It's back, it's back. It's always the highlight for Miami. Uh, I believe it's June 26th. Yes, June 26th. June 26th. And um, I mean, it's, it's a very fun time in that you get, you know, former Canes stars and pro football of famers, right? Like, you know, like uh, Michael Irvin 
and Ray Lewis, and you get all these yeah. former NFL and former Canes. You know, Jeremy Shockey comes out, and uh, maybe I don't just everybody you can think of who's great comes and works these camps. And who would not want to go to one of those camps? And then they get they get commitments from those camps. It's very exciting. How important do you think that camp is? Yeah, definitely. I'm like I said, June is going to be insane because. You look and every like five days, there's basically a a demarcation point where you're like, they could get a commitment here. Obviously they've got their first cookout on June 1st. They could easily have this this class could double in size by June 2nd or June 3rd, if that goes well. And then, um, you know, they've got official visitors every weekend in June. Um, Anytime an official visitor comes to campus, there's a chance he commits. Um, and then obviously, like you said, June 26th, that's kind of the, the capstone, right? A lot of these kids will have probably visited Miami once for that cookout on June 1st and spent the next few weekends taking official visits to other schools that are on their list and then come back to Paradise Camp on June 26th. And, um, you know, it's going to kind of be, I, I think, the end point for a lot of guys recruitments, at least for this like first window of their recruitment. If you talk, I'm talking to a lot of kids, a lot of them want to commit this summer before their senior year. Um, and I think early July, late June is a window that a lot of them are looking at because they know they've all got three, four visits lined up. And, um, you know, Paradise Camp that, that June 26th, you know, I'm not sure like when Florida is doing their Friday night lights or whatever, like a lot of schools kind of tend to do their big camp that last weekend of June. Uh, so Miami will be competing with, with other schools for it. But I think for, for a lot of people, yeah, there's always one or two commitments that come out of Paradise Camp Weekend. But I think it's really like that's the last pitch you have to make before it quiets down again in July. And I think a lot of commitments, like I said, are going to happen in that maybe first last week of June, first week of July window. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be huge. That's that's the last swing you have to take. And like I said, Miami's going to get the first swing at a lot of guys because – I don't know, pretty much every local recruit I'm aware of is uh, going to be at Paradise at uh, that cookout on June 1st. And then, you know, there's no too early to know the list, what the list is going to look like for Paradise Camp, but it's always uh, a loaded crop of players also. Definitely. And then Miami sometimes gets the last swing. They hope to get the, the last swing because they hope in that, that fifth uh, official visit, they always, Miami always tries to get some of the heavy hitters we're talking yeah. about things uh the last like in december you know right. late December, whenever it ends because then it's like beautiful yeah. the They're last like, impression yeah. oh my god then it's like you know it's 80 degrees 75 degrees sunny they take them out in the water yeah you know palm trees and and uh so first swing last swing yeah all right. Uh, I think we can wrap it up there though. You got, you got anything else or I feel like that, that's a nice little primer for people who are maybe we'll checking back in for the first time in a while. We'll, we'll keep aware of baseball. I do have to say that uh, Duke just beat Miami. Yeah, they lost. I just looked it up. Miami. Yep. Won. Yep. Duke. So, so Miami uh, plays FSU, I think 1 PM on uh, tomorrow. 3 PM. 3 PM. I'm sorry. 3 PM. Sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, if they lose, they're done for yeah. the ACC tournament. But because they swept Louisville, Miami baseball last week, they're definitely getting 
100% getting into the NCAA tournament. So we'll find out where they travel to. We know they're traveling uh, on Monday, Memorial Day, when they announce the, the field. And then we'll go from there into the uh, baseball tournament. Hopefully they get out of that and, uh, and, and continue to the World Series. Yeah, well, we'll talk a lot of baseball next week once we have an idea of what it looks like. Uh, but Susan, uh, thanks as always for coming on, especially uh, with you on vacation this week. Uh, you can follow Susan on Twitter at smilleredegnan. Uh, she's off this week, so nothing really to, to promote, right? You'll have baseball stuff once you get back next week. But uh, for, sure. for now, uh, let's let her enjoy her vacation. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at dbwilson2. Uh, I was on the Panthers beat all playoff run that ended last night. Um, Wrote a couple things this week, though. A lot about Spencer Knight. So if, if you're still excited about Spencer Knight, um, you can check out my story I wrote about him and, and just kind of the wrap-up stuff for that season. And um, did a great job, David. Do you do, I loved reading your stories. Thanks. Yeah, they, they made it fun, right? And they, they made it yeah. a little extra fun with the Spencer Knight thing. So, uh, sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in, we're both Northeasterners. We, we appreciate hockey. In a way that uh, a lot of South Florida, I think, finally maybe got their, got their first real taste of uh, fun, competitive playoff hockey this year. Um, so thanks, as always, for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.